Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We've got lots to talk about. We'll also visit with Brandon Wright. He's an editorial director of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and author of Getting the Most Bang for the Education Buck. That'll be an interesting discussion, as well as Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is September the 18th, and on this day in 1634, Anne Hutchinson, an English woman who had become an outspoken religious thinker in the American colonies, arrived at the Massachusetts Bay Colony with her family. She settled in Cambridge and became, began organizing meetings of Boston women in her home, leading them in discussions of recent sermons and religious issues. Soon, ministers and magistrates began attending her sessions as well. She preached uh, that faith alone was sufficient for salvation, and therefore the individuals had no need for the church or church law. That didn't go over well, as you can imagine. By 1637, her influence became great, and she was brought to trial and found guilty of heresy against Puritan orthodoxy. Banished from Massachusetts, she led a group of 70 followers to Rhode Island, which, of course, Roger Williams founded, a colony based on religious freedom, and established a settlement on the island of Aquidneck. After the death of her husband in 1642, she settled near present-day Pelham Bay, New York, on Long Island. In 1643, she and all but one of her children were massacred in a Native American attack. She is recognized as the first notable woman religious leader in American colonies. And of course, this is exactly the separation of church and state that uh, we, we need through uh, the Constitution. Well, Federal uh, Florida Health Department reported 52 new cases of COVID-19 and two additional deaths in Collier County yesterday. Uh, there were 70 and a 75-year-old women uh, who had died of, quote-unquote, with COVID-19, not necessarily because of. The seven-day average for cases declined to 29 through Tuesday. That's the seven-day average of new cases. Less than half of the seven-day average on September the 1st, which was 63, and on the high, of course, which is 221. Thursday, there were 31 patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals, so they're certainly not being overwhelmed. Remember, flatten the curve is the, is the uh, key metric that we're following. There are 19 cases of Cuyahoga County uh, public school children and uh, teachers, uh, staff, none of, with more than two cases in any one school, so that seems to be under control, too. Good news on the COVID-19 front, although there are spikes of or increases around the world, which are concerning. We'll keep an eye on that. First-time claims for unemployment insurance beat Wall Street estimates last week as the U.S. economy entered a critical new stage. Another piece of good news was a decline in the continuing claims, which fell to 916 to 12.63 million. That's a lot of claims compared with 13 million consensus that was estimated. Continuing claims peaked at 24.9 million in early May, so it's way down, but still a lot of claims. And of course, uh, unemployment is running out, so that's a big concern. 
I'm sure the market's watching to see whether Congress is able to pull itself together and come up with some sort of a plan to continue unemployment uh, during, which was quite frankly caused by government shutdown. The claim is that accompanies some disappointing news in housing, which had been an tear uh, for much of the summer. Financial markets were down modestly yesterday, and futures are down just a little bit today going into today's trading. President Donald Trump announced on Thursday he would sign a new executive order establishing the 1776 Commission to promote patriotic education. The commission will counter the revisionist history peddled by the leftist efforts, like the New York Times 1619 Project, which imposes false narratives on American students. The narratives about America are being pushed by the left and are being chanted in the streets bear a striking resemblance to the anti-American propaganda of our adversaries, Trump said in remarks during a White House conference on American history at the National Archives. He further described the 1619 Project, a collection of essays that cast American as irredeemably racist empire built solely on the oppressed minorities as ideological poison. Critical race theory in the 1619 Project and the crusade against American history is toxic propaganda, Trump said, that if not removed, will dissolve the civic bonds that tie us together. It will destroy our country. Uh, Trump's announcement marks the latest example of the White House's decision to engage in substantively in the culture war, becoming less than two weeks after the administration banned critical race theory training at federal agencies, even though he banned it, that's still going on in some agencies we found. The new 1776 Commission, Trump said, will encourage our educators to teach our children about the miracle of American history and make plans to honor the 250th anniversary of our founding. Good for President Trump. I think it's great that he stepped in on this issue. He's creating this executive order. Uh, it's much needed, and uh, we have a lot of problems with our education, public education, and, of course, we've got the Florida Citizens Alliance here in, in uh, Florida, which are addressing this issue, but it's great that the president is stepping up, too, and addressing it as well. This is an interesting story. Minneapolis City Council members who just months ago Moved to eliminate the police department sounded the alarm during a Wednesday meeting about a surge in crime seen by their constituents. Uh, this is not funny, but it makes me smile because they don't understand the laws of cause and effect, obviously. Council members pres uh, pressed the police chief about the uptick in crimes that included daily carjackings, robberies, assaults, shootings, and street racing. Residents are asking where are the police, said council member Jamal Osmond noted that constituents call in Minneapolis Police Department have gone unanswered. Well, of course, the the uh, police chief said, well, you know, we're going to look into that. That's not right. We should be uh, doing better. But the fact of the matter is about 100 officers have either resigned or early retirement or left the agency. And, of course, uh, it's not a... Uh, uh, <laughs> it's no wonder that many officers are concerned about addressing crime because they might uh, be uh, accused of uh, not following proper police procedure. In other words, they used to be out on the beat talking to people and creating reassurance. You see a reduction of that when the police are attacked, as they've done in Minneapolis. So uh, my guess is uh, they're going to try and reestablish the police. They need to do something in order to uh, to mend uh, the bonds with the police department, with the uh, police in Minneapolis, and the citizens. What they've done is atrocious, and, the, you know, it's, it's very, very sad. 
Well, President Trump and Joe Biden have both been hitting the campaign trail this week, and it's noticeable there's a stark contrast in media treatment between the two. That, according to Molly Hemingway, I just wanted to cover her observations because I think she has a lot of credibility. It's beyond propaganda, she says. Hemingway, uh, during an uh, appearance on Fox News, the Ingram angle, in a town hall on CNN early in the evening, Biden was reportedly confronted by friendly supporters who delivered softball questions. Meanwhile, Trump's town hall with ABC News on Tuesday was nothing of the sort, and the president instead was criticized in his interactions. It used to be said that the media acted as a public relations arm of the Democrat Party, Hemingway said. I think it's much easier to say it just understand them as essentially running the Biden campaign, particularly with the trouble that Biden is, Biden is having in terms of typical campaigning. Uh, he went all the way to Pennsylvania. <laughs> It's <laughs> from Delaware. Hemingway pointed out that even though the president performed well when surrounded by hostile media, the Republicans should be pressed to think about whether they should tolerate being treated like second-class citizens. That, according to Molly Hemingway, even if the media continues to portray Trump as an evil uh, monster, Hemingway argued that Trump's progress since 2016 speaks for itself. It doesn't so matter what, ma much matter what the media are saying because I think they are so extreme that uh, people are just having trouble believing anything they have to say, she said. Kudos to, uh, to Molly Hemingway. I think she's absolutely right about that. And it's fair to point out that the treatment is so different. In fact, uh, Vice President Biden was given questions, prompted questions. He interrupted one uh, person who announced that she was a Trump supporter uh, and uh, interrupted her question before and answered it before she had finished it, uh, indicating that uh, perhaps the, the questions were planted. Finally, uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn promised a reform law that protects innovation and free speech on the Internet in an effort to conserve uh, to give conservatives recourse against large technology firms. This is so important. And what she says is bringing this kind of specificity to Section 230, that's of the uh, Communications Act, is going to be helpful to conservatives. It's going to give you a, uh, a form of recourse. It's going to help big tech to know we are no longer giving them the benefit of the doubt and that we are going to be holding them to account, Blackburn said. So what happens is the big media uses uh, Section 230 to sanction the... In fact, my wife actually was uh, suspended from uh, Facebook yesterday for just announcing the truth about um, uh, something that she had found and uh, reported. Well, this is uh, just too much power being exercised. These people who are saying, hey, we're a platform. We don't cast judgment on... Uh, we just... To allow people to post whatever they want to post, and we take down stuff that's reprehensible or not true, well, they're expanding that power way too far, and Marsha Blackburn plans on doing something about it, which is good. Let's see if some legislation comes out of this. We certainly hope so. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, William Yateman, the research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It is brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Brandon Wright. He's the editorial director of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and author of Getting the Boast Bang for Your Education Buck, Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow with the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. Great organization. So, William, uh, we've been talking about the Flynn case now. It's, it's the continuing saga. It's the tale of a thousand nights, so to speak. Any, you know, of course, we're talking about Lieutenant General uh, Michael Flynn, who was uh, serving the president and uh, ended up being trapped uh, and uh, kind of uh, caught up in this Mueller investigation. And now, of course, he's been uh, found guilty in uh, the the Justice Department dropped the case, but the, the uh, judge, Emmett Sullivan, doesn't want to let it go. So any updates? 
Indeed. So uh, Judge Sullivan um, ordered a round of briefing, and uh, John Gleason, who was the court-appointed uh, counsel to basically argue a, a case of prosecution against Flynn, um, he, he submitted a brief that uh, it was remarkable. I mean, I, we've discussed this case a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, the D.C. Circuit, you know, originally a three-judge panel, had, had admonished the process so far. It had sort of uh, uh, had, had expressed uh, doubt during the oral arguments about the aggressiveness of John Gleason in his briefing and sort of how hard he was going at this case and at the government. Um, long story short, I thought in the wake of the appeal before the D.C. Circuit that, that uh, Gleason and Sullivan, Judge Sullivan, and the appointed counsel Gleason would have sort of read between the lines and, and operated with some restraint. But the exact opposite has occurred. His brief, in effect, accuses the attorney general and the president of various impeachable offenses. I mean, it's, it's truly over the top. Um, so it, I'm, I'm sad to report that um, any notion that perhaps the Gleason and Sullivan would be restrained appear to have gone out the window. That they're, they're full bore into this. Um, the, the response, uh, uh, let's see, oral argument, or there will be an oral hearing on September 29th, um, and from there, it's, it's anyone's guess. I mean, again, Sullivan seems not to have been admonished at all by what occurred in the higher court, and they appear to be gung-ho on, on trying to prosecute Flynn despite the fact that the government doesn't want to prosecute him. So who, who, is, who, is, who are they going to... It sounds like uh, uh, that, is he going to make this appeal to the judge, to Emmett uh, Sullivan, or who's, who's he going to make this appeal to? You raise a great question, and I think it's one of, of many of these types of questions, which is, we're in terra incognita. I mean, it, you know, your, your listeners no doubt are aware that the typical prosecution is, is orchestrated or executed by the government right. against the defendant. Um, here, where the government says, well, we studied the matter, we, we had um, an attorney general out of St. Louis investigate the prosecution of Flynn, and we determined that there were a lot of problems with it, and that's why we're um, asking the court to dismiss the charges. So it, it's, it, I don't have an answer for you, because there is no template. There's no reference for a court trying to prosecute a case that the government wants to dismiss. Um, and in effect, having this amicus uh, counsel, this John Gleason, um, are, he seems to be making it up in terms of procedure as he goes along in terms of what he's asking the court to do. So I can't give you a good answer yeah. um, of where this is going. Well, this kind of reminds me of what I think uh, the Attorney General uh, brought to light yesterday. Uh, he was speaking to uh, the Hillsdale College, I believe. And uh, we've seen the Jesse Smollett case. We've seen uh, just the uh, what happened in St. Louis uh, with the couple that just had, uh, brandished their uh, firearms when the Black Lives Matter folks came in their home. Now we see this with Flynn, this kind of judicial activism. Uh, Sidney Powell wrote a book called Prosecutorial uh, machine, but she just pointed out that you know if you get into the sights of uh, the uh, DAs or people like that, federal prosecutors, you know you may as well forget it because they're going to win. <laughs> you don't have a chance. My point being this: that how do we rein in these rogue prosecutors, these rogue uh, judges that are really uh, bending the law and not enforcing the law? It's unconstitutional in my mind. 
at the end of the day, this is a representative um, democracy. I mean, the voters have to care. It has to come from the people. And on this note, and especially with respect to Flynn, but indeed to all the examples you raised, something that makes me so sad about the current state of affairs mm-hmm. is that we have this partisan disagreement over what ought to be obvious. Um, you know, Flynn, you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat to realize that this guy has been put through the ringer by the feds and that that is unfair. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a Republican or Democrat to think that DAs ought to be prosecuting looters and rioters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the extent to which these questions that that just seem to me to be so obviously bipartisan that seemingly, you know, everyone who's reasonable must come out on, on one or one way on these issues... Um, that's just not how it is. And, and it gets to that, that your question. Um, it, reform would have to come from the people, but I fear in our current hyper-partisan times um, that we're not there yet. Well, and, and we aren't, and uh, yet what we're watching is, uh, is so sad. Uh, and quite frankly, a lot of these prosecutors are elected because George Soros type uh, individuals are funding the campaigns of these people so they have the money to win the campaign and then they end up uh, doing what he wants which is basically not enforcing the law and when you stop enforcing the law even for shoplifting or something like that you're just encouraging more criminal behavior and you're making yourself i think what's happened in portland we're seeing exactly that they've made themselves a location for this type of crime and now going over for a hundred days What's happening in Portland blows my mind. I mean, that uh, a population could put up with 100 days of that um, makes no sense to me. I I will note here, with respect to the Soros issue, I'm a bit skeptical about the role or uh, how effective money is in swaying politics. Mm -hmm. Um, And and here, my my example would be the Bloomberg campaign uh, for, for the Democratic nomination for president. I mean, he clearly was willing to spend whatever it took and he didn't register at all on the electoral needle. Um, so by a, I'm not sure why these DAs are winning that don't, don't want to uh, uh, don't want to enforce the law and, and, and maintain some law and, or you know, some, some peace in the center of these cities. Um, but I personally, I don't think that the role of money is is great. I'll push back a little bit because I think you're you know Bloomberg obviously didn't accomplish what he wanted to with his uh, billions. Uh, and in fact, he's putting a hundred million dollars into the campaign in Florida to support Biden. We'll see if that works. But lesser-known names down the ballot for, for example, district attorney. You know, since you know, many people just are surprised that there's actually a, a, a race going on for that position. And when you have tons of money and lots of repetition and name recognition going on, I think it can have an influence. Well, you know what? I actually, your point is is. Uh that's well taken, and I'll note this. It, uh, that's actually a great point. There was a book written in the wake of Democrats sweeping uh, state elections in Colorado. I forget what the title was, um, but it made the same point that you just made, which was at the down-ballot elections, um, you can, where name recognition is perhaps uh, more important than, than you know, at the state level or even nationwide level elections, 
um, that money perhaps does have a disproportionate effect. So I, I do stand corrected yeah. um, with respect to these down-ballot races, and that's a good point. Well, you know what, William? We have so much more time uh, to talk about and so little time to do it. <laughs> Maybe we can <laughs> catch up on other issues next week, but I genuinely appreciate your coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. And again, the, the website is Cato.org. Okay, coming up, Brandon Wright, Editorial Director of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us Brandon Wright. He is the editorial director of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and author of co-author of Getting the Most Bang for the Education Buck. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. Uh, happy to be on the show. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Tell us about the uh, Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Uh, we are a policy organization that concentrates on K-12 education. We're based in D.C., um, where we sort of cover stuff that uh, affects the whole country, but we also have a footprint in Ohio where we deal with um, more local things there. 
Excellent. So you've uh, you've uh, written a book called Getting or assembled a book, a group of essays, Getting the Most Bang for the Education Buck. Big issue because uh, uh, you mentioned in the book uh, or in the material that I received that we spend about fourteen thousand dollars per student for education and public education across the country, and quite frankly, the results are not beautiful are not excellent, and uh, we spend here in Collier County over $22,000 a student. Again, results, not great. So why'd you write the book? Uh, that thing that you just said, that problem is um, one of the reasons, but also it's that when we talk about money in education, the conversation seems to always be about, well, we need more, we don't have enough, how do we get more, please give me more. And it's not that I'm saying schools aren't underfunded. Some certainly are. Uh, but what is not in the conversation that needs to be is um, something that's equally important, if not more important, and that's how those dollars that schools and districts already have are spent. Right. Um, that is rarely talked about, and uh, it leads to the problem that you mentioned, which is that we actually spend a ton on education compared to other developed countries, but our outcomes are pretty mediocre. They certainly are. And uh, so what are some of the recommendations, just to cut to the chase here, what are some of the things that you've come up with that you think can help us get more bang for our buck? So one of the biggest things is, that, is, is the way that we approach staffing. So over the last 30, 40 years, we've seen this huge increase in uh, per-pupil spending, um, Yet somehow, during all of that time, we've seen teacher salaries uh, stay flat. And the reason for that is we're uh, hiring more staff, but they don't tend to actually work in the classroom. Um, they are staff that are helping students outside of the classroom, working in the office, working in the district, um, doing administrative stuff, various other roles. Um, there are reasons for this, but it boils down to really sort of bureaucratic bloat and a lot of money being spent on things that aren't actually helping teachers teach and aren't helping kids learn. So we have one chapter that's actually about staffing in general. We have another that's about special education. The recommendations of both of those really go towards uh, looking at districts across the country that have already done this better explaining how they do it and mm -hmm. trying to get um, other districts to do that. And it really boils down to paying better people, um, paying a smaller amount of uh, higher skilled, um, more highly experienced people more, but having less of them. Yeah. So uh, from a staffing standpoint, what that looks like is instead of this one, one classroom, one teacher in charge of that classroom, and they're sort of out there on an island by themselves, um, some districts have created what they call teacher teams, where you take the most uh, effective, most experienced teacher, you pay them more. This teacher actually leads a team of, say, three to five other educators. They spend part of their time educating, but the, the, the other part of their time is spent um, doing what all of this extra staff is actually uh, doing in other schools. They are overseeing um, these other educators, they are helping them uh, with their curriculum, uh, with their instruction, uh, helping them be better teachers. Yeah. But you're not actually hiring another person. 
Yeah, I find some irony in something that you did say. I'll just mention that you mentioned that teachers' salaries have not gone up as significantly as, for for example, uh, supporting staff has gone up and the number of staff has gone up, and yet we have teachers' union that are supposed to be representing these teachers, <laughs> increasing their mm-hmm. and and, oh, and who's the obstreperous one, the one that's creating the problems in terms of moving forward with new innovation in, in education? In my mind, it's the teachers' unions. Yeah, and so. Teachers unions, obviously, if they were completely um, all powerful, you know, their their uh, their teachers would get paid more. But they are very powerful, and they do affect this. But what I seem to see is that teachers unions benefit when they have more people who belong to their union. Yeah. Right. So if we're talking about actually not hiring significantly more teachers and paying some teachers more than others. Uh, these are actually two things that unions very strongly oppose. Yeah. They generally don't like things like merit pay, right? Um, they want essentially all teachers to sort of move in the lockstep that they, they wanted to, to, to have this sort of, uh, external, uh, image of some sort of idea of fairness. Um, whereas obviously what is happening isn't really fair. Yeah, if you're that- a great teacher, you should be rewarded for it. Yeah, that's a great point. So as they're expanding staff, of course, they're creating more union members as well, and I hadn't even thought about that point. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. So uh, you brought up special needs children, which brings up the whole issue about parental choice and parents making sure that the child is in the right place to learn according to their capabilities. Uh, do you address that issue? Yeah, so uh, the problem with special education really is uh, – is that we tend to relegate these kids to separate classrooms. Mm-hmm. And then again, there's a staffing problem. That's, it's a brand new class, and so you have a teacher there. But then you also pay all of these uh, low-paid, low-skilled adults to be in the room sort of helping these kids get along. They move at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. They're often following a different curriculum. So uh, the recommendation here is you try to put as many of these kids in general education classrooms as you can, and the vast majority of these kids can be in these classrooms. And then, it's, and then instead of having all of these low-paid, low-skilled adults, you hire a smaller amount of highly paid, highly skilled special education uh, educators. They're in these general education classrooms with these kids, along with the main teacher, and they help them out. Again, you end up paying less but getting more these kids are uh better socialized they're learning more and there are less classrooms and less teachers actually hired by the district um from a parental choice uh standpoint obviously this is a very very big issue right now in this pandemic you see a lot of parents um disenrolling their kids or looking to other options we've seen a record increase in 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 homeschooling and, of course, this is in part uh, because of the pandemic, but there have been a lot of schools that have actually been pretty nimble in their reaction to this crisis. And uh, it's the types of schools that have autonomy, that have a small um, number of people in charge so they can actually, you know, change on a dime. And mm-hmm. these tend to actually not be traditional public schools. Right. They tend to be charter schools just because of the way the governance of those schools is designed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, what we've seen is really this this potential uh, massive seismic increase 
um, and parents uh, considering what their choices are. Uh, just great information here. You know, Brandon, I'm, uh, we here in Florida eliminated Common Core, the governor, and his guidance and leadership. Of uh, We've uh, gone to a new curriculum, which is great because I think Common Core was a disaster. Uh, how much does the curriculum have to do with uh, the issues that you're addressing? Yeah, so the curriculum is a big part, um, and it's a big part of what schools uh, spend their money on or don't. Yeah. And um, so we talk about that in the book also, that you know, there obviously needs to be a high-quality uh, curriculum. One of the strange things that we find in education, actually, is uh, teachers um, aren't just expected to teach their classroom. They're expected to buy supplies for their kids, and often they're expected to create their own curriculum. Hmm. Um, something they're not really trained to actually do, and something that, frankly, they don't really have time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they end up doing is they're, they go online, and there's some websites for this, but they also use Google, they use Pinterest, um, really just doing what they can to try to pull together um, supplies for their classroom. Wow, that's so uh, interesting. My organization just reviewed uh, basically this problem in the last year, and they found that something like a half or two-thirds of the materials that end up um, being used in classrooms really shouldn't be used in them. Yeah, it's so and, interesting. Uh, uh, Brandon, uh, again, Brandon Wright. Now, do you, what's the website for Thomas B. Fordham Institute? FordhamInstitute.org. FordhamInstitute.org. I also want to point out to our listeners, the book comes out today, I believe. It uh, does, yeah. Getting the most bang for the education buck sounds like a great read. Brandon Wright, I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's. <clears throat> we'll move on to. Uh, we're going to visit with Sharon Kenny. Sharon is the uh, author of "Where Should We Eat?" That and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobhardenathotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House thrift stores, Cafe M25, 
Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Sharon Kenny. She writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment here in South Florida. She's also got her own book, Where Should We Eat? Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Great to talk to you, Bob. Thank you, Sharon. So, you know, so businesses, uh, restaurants are getting back to work, and uh, it's great to see the activity here on the Paradise Coast. Uh, I would imagine this is a time there where restaurants are looking to bring in more and more diners. Uh, anything special going on? Hey, Bob, yes. So a couple of things. I've just noticed a real uptick in the last week of new openings, uh, too many even to list, of smaller places mm. in uh, all around Naples and North Naples and in, in, uh, East Naples. Um, so out of the main core, we're seeing a lot more of those Smaller, locally owned places, bars, etc. Bars, hey, bars are open yeah. um, that weren't open before. And so I've got one place that is has come up on Facebook, one site called Naples Hidden Gems. I would encourage anybody who follows Facebook to um, to. to uh, like that site and to follow it because they are it's run by a professional photographer in town Vicki Baker who does a lot of uh, work with the local restaurants for photographing and she has taken to posting a lot of the places that are reopened and especially those smaller places and she's a professional photographer she does great photos really yeah. mouth-watering photos about the food and drink available. And so put that on your Facebook if you're a Facebook user. Yeah, what was the um, name again? The Facebook? Naples Hidden Gems. I was reaching That's for a pencil, Naples. <laughs> Naples Hidden Gems. Yeah, go on Facebook and like that. She might be on Instagram as well, um, but she's big on Facebook. And uh, so that's a, I, I've learned a lot uh, just in the past few days, especially. Like I said, things seem to be re- really heating up, especially, I guess, because of the new bar ruling yeah. where bars can be open. Well, that's good news. Yeah, it certainly so, is. And, you know, this is a, a drumbeat that I've been <laughs> pushing for many years. If you uh, try, to, try to follow um, as many restaurants as you can, not just on Facebook, but um, get on their email lists, and you really find out about a lot of specials that are tremendous. This week, I, uh, with a group of friends, uh, went to Continental on Wednesdays. They have a steak and lobster special, hmm. which was tremendous. And, uh, you know, a nice group of people. It's a nice outdoor, indoor space. If, you're, if you don't want to sit in, inside, Continental is I think one of the prettiest outdoor spaces you can get. Hmm. Um, Blue Provence, always sending out lots and lots of interesting things about specials and events that they have going on. 
Um, and Barbatella, again, 100-layer uh, lasagna is coming. I know you missed it last time, Bob, That's so you've right. got to go this time. Absolutely. By, by the way, Blue Provence has a great early dining special between, I think it's 5.30 and 6, if I'm not mistaken, Tuesday through Sunday. But uh, my goodness, just really uh, fantastic servings of uh, wonderful food. It includes a starter, uh, entree, and dessert. Well, and the, the news that I'm hearing, or the, 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 the questioning that I'm hearing, the scuttlebutt around town is, what kind of a season are we going to have here in Naples? I think this is going to be a huge season. So uh, well, I would go to those local restaurants now, yeah. because I think we are going to be absolutely busier than ever this year as people um, come down uh, from the north yeah. more than ever and stay longer than ever. And uh, so I think take advantage of these incredible deals. Yeah, from your lips to God's ear, we can only hope so because it would be great for our economy if that indeed happens. And I think, I agree with you, I think it will. Hopefully we'll continue to see a receding of uh, the coronavirus. Hey, look, before I let you go, I know you're a big uh, Miami Heat fan, and they're, they're playing the Celtics in the Eastern Finals right now. They're up two games to zero. They won a big one again last night. All right, did you go over there and watch it? Well, I stayed in my living room and watched it because it's in the bubble in Orlando. Oh, that's um, right. That's right. Yeah, which is creating just amazing basketball. And is the conditions are such that this is a season that you've never seen before in that um, you don't have players that are exhausted from flying, um, going from one home game to an away game. So there's no flying. Everybody is it's the same condition. And also, you don't have a home team advantage. There is no home team. We're all in the same position. Mm -hmm. And so it, and it also is doing well for players that are more mature, um, that can handle being in a bubble and away from their families, away from their support systems. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the things that the Heat, who has now, uh, I think, what is it, a nine and one record in the bubble, which is unprecedented. And, uh, the Heat's a really tight, uh, family-like atmosphere, and so I think that's really helping, especially their younger players who are away from their families. But yeah. yes, <laughs> heat over the Celtics, yeah, they, and they, everybody completely is picking the Celtics, and the Heat is defying defying all of the predictions. Well, I must say, they have a three-point shooter. I've forgotten the guy's name, but my goodness, he hit, he is so quick. Tyler and, Hero. Yeah, that's it. And he, He's uh, aptly named Tyler Hero. He he can hit anything from anywhere. He's just unbelievable. And, and he's 20 years old. Is he really? That's just He's the youngest guy in the playoffs, and that's what I mean. You know, 20 years old, away from his family, away from his support system, but he's got a real good family atmosphere in the heat, and uh, I think think that's helping him blossom. Yeah, well, I must say, uh, 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 my spirits are dampened somewhat by the politicalization of this entire process, and so I don't, I, I've watched every minute of the playoffs previously with, with the Celtics, my favorite team, but uh, not so much this year, but perhaps it'll grow on me as things go on. Turn on the game, shut off the commentary, that's what I do. <laughs> All right, Sharon Actually, Kenny. I listen to everything. <laughs> All right, Sharon Kenny, the author Where Should We Eat, genuinely appreciate you coming on the show, thanks so much for joining us. Great talking to you, Bob. You as well. Thanks, Sharon. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo. He, uh, Dave uh, wrote a book about the assault on his business by union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years. As a result, he's made himself somewhat of an expert on union activity, and it's likely it's a similarity to what happens in the Democrat Party. We're going to talk to Dave that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 
for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished national guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote, Along with historian and best-selling author, Dr. William Federer wants to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I heard the St. Matthew's House uh, commercial. I just want to do a little shout out. Uh, to Lulabee's Diner, who does so much to support St. Matthew's House and the great work they do. And if you want a great breakfast or lunch, go to Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They're in a construction right now, so I wanted to give them extra support. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center for breakfast or lunch. We have with us Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Uh, I mentioned that uh, he'd uh, written a book about the assault from union bosses over the course of two and a half years. Well, they played dirty tricks they, against his customers, against his uh, business, against uh, using the Na National Labor Relations Board, using the clergy, children, you name it. They were trying to attack Dave and force him to sign, embarrass him into signing, uh, neutrality agreement, which would allow them to go by and sign up all of his employees. Once they got to 50% plus one, he would be unionized. He said, nope, not going to do that. If you want to unionize my shop, my business, executive management services, doing business in over 40 states with over 6,000 employees, he said, you know what? You're going to have to do it by secret ballot. They were, he prevailed over two and a half years, and they slunk away like a bunch of rats on a sinking ship. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Vigo, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I must say, I want to tell our, reader, our uh, listeners that uh, the book is really a great read. You can't, it's like a murder mystery. You can't make this stuff up. 
Well, it is, Bob, and it, and it really appeals to people of all backgrounds and that. And uh, I was um, actually speaking to uh, three of my employees yesterday that are all black ladies that are very good ladies. And um, they um, they started talking about this crisis that's going on, what's behind it and everything. And I told them and told them about my book and that the same tactics are going on in this country that the SEIU used against us. And... Um, that, um, you know, um, all this stuff is made up and um, just because of the election process come in, they all three agreed. And uh, they said, we're tired of this stuff. And uh, they didn't believe in Black Lives Matters or Antifa or anything like that. And they wanted a copy of my book. So That's I gave, great. I signed, one, I signed one and gave it to them, my employees. Outstanding. Well, it's a great, again, a great read. Uh, TheDevilAtOurDoorstep.com is the, is the website, by the way, to uh, to visit. So, Dave, uh, we're watching some <laughs> real dirty tricks going on right now. It looks to me like the Democrat Party, the aggressors, are planning some sort of a revolt in case uh, uh, Trump gets elected. Uh, you know, it just uh, reads just like out of your book. Any thoughts on union activity going on right now? Well, the unions, you know, uh, they're behind Biden, especially the teachers' unions and the big unions like the AFL-CIO and the SEIU and some of the other big ones. But, uh, you know, behind the scenes, the membership is not happy about that. And, um, you know, a lot of them um, don't like the direction their um, union bosses are going. And they understand that uh, the only reason that the unions uh, support Biden and the Democratic Party is because they want to control the country at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, But the thing about this is the union membership continues to decline, and uh, it's because a lot of people don't want to be a part of what uh, the unions and Soros and uh, other people are, in the far left are doing in this country. Right. Well, uh, a notable exception, of course, is law enforcement. Many of these uh, uh, unions have said, you know, Trump's our man, which is really refreshing. In most of these cases, they don't endorse anybody, but uh, like the New York, or just go around the the nation. These uh, Because of law and order and what's happening right now, the uh, police unions are saying, we're on board with President Trump. That's right, and that's and that's a great thing. But the teachers' unions are all behind, uh, big time, behind the um, Democrats and Biden and Kamala and, and that, and uh, they're pushing that really hard. And even some of them have gone out on strike illegally here uh, during this period and that because they're trying to uh, uh, bolden up behind Biden and that and yeah. help the Democratic Party win. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really sad, but, you know, one of the things that I found interesting that I, that I found this past week is that in um, uh, Michigan, unions are suing a state panel panel over a rule changing a, a rule change requiring Michigan workers to approve dues annually. So that means that uh, the the, the uh, Michigan workers would get to vote annually whether they want to pay the dues and how much they want to pay. That and that's in a, and that's in a democratic state. So are you saying that this is a rule that is passing in a Democrat state or is being overturned in a Democrat state? Uh, the uh, the um, uh, state panel is uh, getting it passed through. That is fantastic. Well, see, this is the kind of thing that I think needs to be in, in, involved in every state. I'd like to see uh, unions re- uh, be recertified every year or two for sure so that everybody who some, – some people never voted to be in a union who've been in it for t- 20 years because it was it's been in existence for so long. Well, that's exactly right, and people need 
you know, it's like our election process. We vote every four years, and, and then some other elections, it's every couple of years. And, uh, you know, the people that are union members need to have the same ability. Absolutely. Well, I just uh, I'd love to get your comments on what's happening with the uh, campaign right now. And uh, we've seen Biden getting these uh, layup questions, these softball questions versus Trump, who's, uh, you know, which is that's the way it should be. You should have tough questions. And when you're running for president, the people should be able to observe and see how you handle difficulty. Uh, but what are your thoughts right now with the campaign and what you're seeing? Well, it doesn't surprise me at all because the left is, um, you know, controlling the media and uh, and what's going on out there and the questions and uh, they're, they're they they want them to throw hard balls at Trump and softballs at uh, Biden yeah. and this is going to continue right up to election day. No, it certainly is. So um, and now it's Soros is a. Uh, I've I've read that the Soros is planning to have some sort of revolt uh, if, in fact, Trump wins. And they're anticipating. I guess you know what I'm seeing. I think the less left is understanding that they can't win. Well, I think so too. And um, you know the mail-in ballot thing and uh, the electoral college. They're they're trying to find any way they can to um, reverse it if Trump wins, and uh, it's going to be ugly. And uh, People have to understand, Bob. The more I talk to people at all levels, mm-hmm. um, they 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 bring up communism all the time, just like I've talked about on your show. Right. And um, you know, um, in fact, I don't know if you saw on Tucker Carlson the other night the lady from China uh, talking about the coronavirus, and she says the reason it's spread throughout the world and that is because our communist uh, um, dictatorship uh, has done that. Yeah. And um, that's what it's all about. And she says, I don't agree with it, and I don't believe it, and I don't like it. And uh, then, then you uh, watch other people on TV talk about it. And, and, and like last night, uh, I told you I was talking to three of my employees, and, and this one black lady, she says, communism is the problem. Right. And it, it's, you're seeing this at all levels. I, I think you're absolutely right, and uh, right, right now, I think the problem that Democrats have right now is they say, let's choose Joe Biden, because he looks, he, you know, it's like putting a lipstick on a pig, so to speak, because he's, <laughs> yeah, he, he's kind of a centrist, you know, so he'll, we'll try and prop him up as a centrist. Meanwhile, we're trying to implement this far-left uh, this far left progressive strategy, and uh, for example, uh, AOC, uh, Came out and said, you know, we 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 think we can uh, mold his thinking to suit our purposes for, for example, Green New Deal and the other things that she's promoting. Yeah, that's right. But you know, the other thing, both uh, Biden and uh, Harris kind of slipped this week when they they came out and they were talking, and they they called it the Harris Biden campaign, yeah. not the Biden Harris campaign. Yeah, and that's really what it is. It's the Harris Biden campaign. Unbelievable. Dave, you just can't make this stuff up. And I just want to encourage our listeners to uh, read your book. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a great read. It's written a couple of years ago, but it's uh, all the things that you'll read in it ring true today. It'll actually embarrass you. You can't believe that human beings can stoop to the level that these SEIU bosses stoop to in order to try and garner uh, and influence and uh, convince Dave to sign this neutrality agreement, the devil at our doorstep. Get a copy, by the way, on my website at a nice discount, and also, of course, at all book purveyors as well, the devil at our doorstep. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Well, thank you, and people need to realize that the SEIU and Soros are one of the two biggest things behind what's going on in this country today. That's absolutely true. Thanks again, Dave. All right, take care, Bob. You too, bye. So that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed it and learned a lot. Uh, I hope you'll join us on Monday. We're going to have Mark Schulman. He's on every Monday morning. We talk about current global affairs, up-to-the-minute uh, information. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He'll be joining us, as well as Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author of a couple of books, uh, uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden.com. At hotmail.com. You can also ask for a copy of uh, the newsletter that I send out after each show, Bob Harden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>